This is the Oanda Podcast. Brought to you by Jazz FM's Business Breakfast. You're listening to the Oanda Market Insights Podcast. Each week we preview and review all the business and market stories with Oanda Senior Market Analyst Craig Earlham. And it's a very good afternoon to Craig. How are you doing? I'm really good, man. I'm really good. How are you? I don't think you're suitably attired. I wish the listeners could see what you're uh, what you're wearing. Well, that's the magic of the the radio, the podcast, isn't it? You you create an image, but it doesn't necessarily have to be too accurate. I'm in t-shirt and shorts rather than the usual suit attire, but then it is twenty odd degrees outside, and I thought you would prefer me to look ragged than smell iffy, shall we say? Yeah, I wish I had an ass now, really. Yeah. Big story of the weekend coming up, of course, is the G20 summit, which has a slightly surreal nature to it, doesn't it? With so much going on geopolitically these days. But most important, of course, is the meeting between Trump and Xi. So what are we expecting? Uh, what we're expecting is quite difficult because you've got two quite unpredictable characters here, particularly when you're looking at Trump, who kind of goes into these meetings and he really goes in like all guns blazing. He likes to play this kind of good cop and bad cop himself routine where he's very critical going into these meetings, are very complimentary coming out of them. Maybe that just gives the perception that he's achieved a lot more than maybe he typically has out of these uh, discussions. So we're looking at this meeting right now and we're saying, well, what's the minimum that the market would expect, that the market thinks will be be achieved from this meeting and given that we were already uh, we were being told 90% of the way through this trade deal that a lot of the terms had been agreed and it was just that final 10% where the difficulties were arriving I think the least we should be expecting out of this discussion is that tariffs are postponed the tariff truce as it's being sold and that the some compromise has been found which will enable discussions to restart again and work towards a deal over the coming weeks and months I think that's the least that we can expect I think that leaves a rate cut on the table for July as far as the Fed's concerned because we are still in the midst of a trade war and the economy is uh, showing signs uh, of that taking its toll but maybe discounts the potential for a second or even a third this year which the markets are factoring in even a fourth the markets are factoring in a small percentage of which is crackers when you consider that it's now heading into July where we could potentially be seeing these things go I don't think we're going to see all matters resolved so we're not going to necessarily see a deal we're not going to see a handshake a signature none of that I would imagine famous last words of course by the time people are listening to this whether we will see complete breakdown again I'm leaning against it I wouldn't say it's an impossibility because clearly the issues which broke the talks last time are quite tough issues to resolve and while logic dictates that both sides will want to deal out of this neither side wants more tariffs neither side wants an economic slowdown or even a global economic slowdown as a result of these actions it doesn't always mean that we will see an agreement it suggests that we should rather than we will so the good side of this and i know this is a long rambling but i guess there is a lot to factor in when we're talking about this because we're not just talking about a trade war between the us and china we're talking about the impact on the economy we're talking about the impact on the fed and finally we're talking about the impact on the markets as well so there's three massive knock-on effects from this where as far as the markets is concerned we have to remember that the markets are at record highs not at this point because people are expecting a deal here it's because people know that if a deal doesn't materialize then the fed will be there to back things up that the fed will cut interest rates sufficiently to support the economy and continue to support the markets so while we could see a negative knee-jerk reaction in the immediate aftermath of these talks collapsing and we could see a positive knee-jerk reaction in the aftermath of an actual positive progression in this i don't think either will probably be too long lasting just because the fed is there to support no matter what although many are suggesting that if a deal isn't done between the US and China, the world could 
certainly enter recession in spite of whatever the Fed does. That is obviously a possibility. I mean, we can't say that tariffs on another $325 billion worth of goods just going into the US isn't going to create issues, but we don't know what those tariffs will be. Will they be 10%? Will they be 25%? What kind of retaliatory action will we see from China? And once all goods are tariffed, what do we see then? Do we see 50% or do we see them adopt other actions in order to create difficulties and feed the economic slowdown? It seems to depend on who you're talking to on how bad things could potentially get from this trade war and of course then where does Trump turn to for his win does he turn his attention to Europe and almost double down and try and get his win that way because I don't think he wants the US economy heading into a slowdown or a recession heading into an election year because all of a sudden this hardline stance which has stood well from with his supporter base in the US maybe starts to look a little bit more negative when it starts to hurt them in terms of employment or wages I think there's a lot to be gained from a positive result for both sides and a lot to be lost from a negative result from both sides which was why I think logic dictates that we see something positive come out of this even if it is just a lot of wording combined with a truce on tariffs that is enough i think to make people feel a bit more optimistic but then again like i say they are very unpredictable a bit of inflation news this afternoon uh, craig u.s inflation has slowed rose 0.2 percent last month and on an annual basis to may rose 1.5 so that is lower than the 1.6 in april so perhaps a bit of good news there it's good news and it also means that the fed is more inclined to cut interest rates as a result of that so the fed has a dual mandate the u.s central bank that is uh, price stability which is the inflation around two percent and also uh, maximum employment maximum employment we can safely say in the u.s is being achieved what is unemployment now 3.6 percent that, that's as close as you'll get to maximum employment so they're very much achieving that side of the mandate but inflation has been slowly slipping and when we've seen some of the reports it would suggest that actually non-tariff goods are actually seeing a, a faster decline in price growth and it's actually tariff goods which are really contributing more so to that inflation reading which again would be more of a concern for the fed because it doesn't want to rely on tariffs for inflation so that is one strong argument actually for the fed cutting interest rates apart from the slowdown so really regardless of how these talks pan out between trump and g it could be very positive and we could still see the fed cut interest rates because they may still look at the inflation figure and say we are still seeing a slowdown we've seen a slowdown down in the housing market we've seen a slowdown in inflation we can still cut interest rates maybe july maybe september probably july based on where markets are pricing and then we can hold off for a little bit longer because we're seeing progress on this front which will hopefully strengthen the economy which in turn have knock-on effects for prices OPEC are meeting next week, Craig, and they're on red alert at the moment because of these escalating US-Iran tensions that have certainly fueled strong oil price gains. But the cartel and other crude producing nations are certainly unlikely to end output cuts at this meeting, are they? Um, no, um, it's it's quite an interesting one because it seemed that we were talking about having maybe difficulty between not necessarily the OPEC nations themselves into in, in agreeing to an extension for the 1.2 million barrel a day cut that was agreed at the back end of last year. It was more the Russian side of things. They seemed to be one that seemed to be getting a little bit uncomfortable with the idea of extending output cuts. They wanted to capitalise on the prices where they were between 60 and $70 a barrel. They were becoming concerned with the fact that the US was growing its market share at a time where and they and, and the, the other producers within this cartel were 
cutting their production and the US was just capitalizing repeatedly on it and they wanted to improve their market share rather than be focusing on output cuts at those price levels. But then we had a big change because that's when oil prices really started to dip. That's when we were looking at WTI prices back in the $50 range rather than the $60 range and all of a sudden maybe OPEC are looking at this and saying this is getting a little bit uncomfortable now if these prices continue to decline and we actually do need to take action to support it and all of a sudden an extension was very much back on the cards and it wasn't necessarily one that people thought was going to be disputed it was a case of when are they going to confirm it rather than are they going to do it and then to go further into the story opec actually pushed back their meeting so the meeting was actually scheduled to take place earlier this week well i think it's safe to say that the reason they pushed back this meeting was because one of the factors that's really weighed on oil prices in the last month or so has been these new global growth projections the fact that people are anticipating slower global growth slower global growth means slower demand growth for oil which typically is a negative for prices so they wanted to see how these US China trade talks went because that's a major risk factor for global growth. So they've pushed back the meeting to early next week. Now we're looking at prices because of all the geopolitical issues that we've had around in the Gulf of Oman and a number of other things, large inventory drawdowns, which we've seen over the last couple of weeks reported by EIA and IAPI. We're now seeing WTI prices back around $60 a barrel. We're seeing Brent prices between $65 and $70 a barrel. So all of a sudden now it starts to look a bit iffy again because now I'm sure the Russians will be looking at it saying, I'm, I'm comfortable with prices around those levels. Now I've got a choice. If we don't see a massive reaction to these Trump and G talks over the weekend and say prices remain around these current levels, and they may not, we may see a boost, a jump higher if we do see a positive result because of what it means for global growth. But if you're the Russians and you're saying, well, I'm actually comfortable with prices around these levels, you've got a choice here. Do you roll the dice and say, I'm not that interested in a cut? Maybe I'll agree to one a, a smaller cut. Maybe rather than OPEC cutting by 800,000 and us and the non-OPEC allies cut by 400,000, maybe we half that and see how that sits with the markets but then obviously they're taking a risk of prices falling again and then you've got another six months before you're really looking at stabilizing my point here is you can either take these kind of risky action or you can actually double down on this now and say you know no let's push ahead with this even at these levels and let's secure prices in these levels actually let's push it a little bit further let's push wti to 65 dollars a barrel brent crude to 75 dollars a barrel to much more comfortable levels even if it does come at the cost of production for another six months it's going to be a very interesting event Right, let's uh, change subjects a bit. And we used to talk about Bitcoin a lot. Once it, upon a time. It was your pet topic, really, wasn't it? You insisted we had to have a Bitcoin moment each week. I'm a trend it, follower, what can I say? Well, it went away, didn't it? But it's back. and With uh, a vengeance. Yes, the wild ride continues, doesn't it? Bitcoin's really taken off. Basically, what's happened in the last couple of weeks is it was rumoured that we were going to be seeing an announcement from Facebook, the launch of their own cryptocurrency the Libra coin. Now, this was going to be an international payments currency. It was going to be backed by a combination of other currencies, be it the US dollar, the pound, the euro, etc. And it was good. They were going to effectively create a stable coin. Now, this all of a sudden generated a lot of excitement. It was also going to be backed by a number of companies as well. So that further legitimized it. Think how much legitimacy Facebook would give the cryptocurrency space. Well, if it's backed by another of other major firms uh, like Uber, for example, then all of a sudden it gives it that increased level of adoption. In, it gives it that extra legitimacy. All of a sudden, this just got the buzz going again. And next thing we know, we're going from 8,000, 9,000, 10,000. We hit highs of close to $14,000. 
all in a very short period of time. And I know some crypto enthusiasts uh, would, would like to believe that this is nothing to do with this Libra coin, that this is a coincidence, that this is actually just people regaining the trust and the belief in, in the crypto space. Again, it's quite clearly not. It's quite clearly very heavily linked because let's be honest, one of the reasons why people doubted Bitcoin for so long and why people thought it was taking a long time to recover is the adoption side of things. It was a fad at the time. It was this idea that people just thought it was a way to make quick money rather than a, something that you could adopt. How can you spend Bitcoin when you think it could half or double in the next 24 hours, 48 hours? That's not a functional currency. What Facebook have done is created a stable coin and there are other stable coins out there, but Facebook have created one that normal people can quite easily potentially use. And this has got people excited about the space again. And like I say, Bitcoin, it's gone absolutely berserk. Um, we've seen it trading up 10, 15% on a regular daily basis. Between Wednesday evening and Thursday evening, it fell 25%. Today, at the time of uh, chatting, and this is going to be outdated in about four minutes, but it's up around 10%. It's just crackers. But this is the reason twofold. One, why Bitcoin can never, cannot be taken seriously as a method of payment. But, and two, why when people compare it to gold 2.0 it really does make me laugh because what the reason why gold has stood the test of time is because it's stable it's because it's reliable it's because it retains its value you can't say this about bitcoin it's, you really it's can't. tangible as well isn't it gold so it kind of makes a big difference when you can actually hold it in your hand exactly it's not just a belief system don't get me wrong if people one day decide that gold actually isn't that desirable and i don't like jewelry anymore and i don't want this then it will lose its value do you but, think that's going to happen in our lifetime i don't I, maybe yours but not mine uh, i'm sure people find other, other reasons beyond that but it's it, it's it's more a case of bitcoin it, it very much is a belief system at this moment in time because like i say it's not a functional currency it's not gold 2.0 there is no inflation hedge there is no risk there is no correlation whatsoever with gold but maybe maybe rather than try and compare it to assets that currently exist, maybe there should be more of an acceptance of that and say, all right, Bitcoin's not gold. It's something else. It's something unique. And this is why we should believe in it. And I think that would be much more beneficial. But I think, like I say, to go back to the original story, this announcement from Facebook, it's going to be interesting to see how this progresses because Mark Carney commented on it um, very recently. I think it was in the Manchinell speech. And he wasn't too opposed to it. If anything, he seemed to be very open to something like this now that that amazes me because this idea that we could one day see people spending libra on an international scale people no longer need fiat currency don't need sterling anymore they don't need dollars because they can just spend everything online in libra with various companies this all of a sudden removes the power from the governments removes the power from the central banks so i was quite surprised to see much so open but maybe this is an acknowledgement from these central bankers that's Maybe the world is changing and they need to adapt with it rather than consistently fight. You know, wars have been fought for lesser reasons than that, really. And as you said, if it destabilised the world because of this rogue currency, you never know what that could lead to. And that's one of the massive concerns is that who bails it out if things do go awry? But back in 2008, it was the Federal Reserve that very much bailed not just the US out, but obviously people who were holding uh, large amounts of dollars who had needed liquidity, needed US dollar liquidity. It was the Federal Reserve that stepped in to stabilise that. Who will do so? Will Facebook one day have to rely on the Federal Reserve, the Bank of England, the ECB and others all stepping up to provide the liquidity when things do go awry? And these are the questions which are going to be asked. These are the studies which are going to have to be undertaken. And this is why... This is a currency that has to be taken very seriously, both in terms of the upside benefits, but also the downside effects that could follow. Let's briefly look ahead to the latter end of next week and the US jobs report. Now, how much is riding on this report? 
if it's poor in terms of jobs created, is that almost destined to lead to a cut in July? I always think it doesn't make a difference, to be quite honest. You still enough. think it's going to happen either way? I, yeah, I said this last month. I thought that jobs report was really interesting because that may have forced the hand of the Fed to actually act in June if the numbers had been really dreadful. But I'm looking at these, these, this now, and there's no forecast currently available on any of the websites. We saw 75,000 jobs created last month and it didn't really make that much of a difference. Markets are pricing in a 100% chance of an interest rate cut in july the feds only really moved in factors of 25 basis points over the last decade when they've been raising interest rates and the the idea was that people were actually starting to factor in the prospect of much bigger moves this was something i was never on board with i must say but people were starting to price in a 40 percent chance that we would actually be 50 basis point rate cut which seems very extravagant at a time when the world is not falling apart, when Donald Trump, on the one hand, is telling us that this is the best US economy ever, the best employment market ever, yet we need the Fed to cut interest rates by 50 basis points and engage in more QE. The, the two things just don't line up. Then in the middle of the week, we heard from Jay Powell, the Fed chair, and he basically suggested the markets were getting maybe a little bit carried away, that they were eyeing up the prospect of rate cuts, but they weren't going to bow down to political pressures, short-term political pressure. So that suggested that maybe we need to take a little bit of a step back from a market perspective. I think the more interesting one really was James Bullard. So he's a FOMC voter this year. He is among, if not the most dovish member of the FOMC at this moment in time. And he suggested that a 50 basis point cut would be too much and that he'd probably back a 25 basis point cut. So when you're most dovish members saying that, and by dovish I mean the member who would most prefer lower rates and hawkish is people who'd prefer higher rates. If he's the most dovish member and he's saying that he's probably not going to back a 50 basis point cut, then I'm actually quite amazed that right now the markets are still pricing in a 22% chance of a 50 basis point for July. So I do think the markets are a bit overstretched at this point. Okay, finally, we've got this uh, RBA meeting as well coming up. Is that important? It is to the Australians. Um, <laughs> they cut interest rates at the last meeting in the minutes suggested afterwards they're likely to cut interest rates again this year. So they're already at record lows, I think 1.25%, and they, which is amazing when you think that record lows elsewhere are much lower. They're saying they're, it's likely to cut interest rates again this year. We're not expecting that rate cut to actually come next week probably come later in the year if it comes they still think there's a lot of slack in the labor market etc there's still a lot of issues in the housing market the same old stuff really but in terms of this meeting itself we're just really looking for further hints that uh, a rate cut's coming this year when it could potentially come are we talking september october november december when is it that we can expect this rate cut because they do seem to be pretty fixated on that idea let's be honest that's not inconsistent with central banks elsewhere the ecb has talked about it last week the fed has obviously talked about it last week as well the rbnz um, has already done so i think the only people who aren't talking about rate cuts at the moment are actually the bank of england which is funny because we very much have our own issues we certainly do craig have a very very good weekend in your shorts and uh, <laughs> um don't know where you're going but it looks like you're going to have a good time and uh, we'll see you again in a couple of weeks yeah yeah i mean uh, I, i'm donning the shorts for an entire week i'm, I'm having a week a off another holiday another holiday I, I like to do everything together i, li I like to have a month you of fun you don't have to make any excuses i'll have a month fine. of fun and 11 months of misery i think and uh, yeah so i'm off to no i'm not going too far i'm on i'm off to devon with the family very nice yeah nice little nice little break in bullocoon cheers great thanks a lot
That was the Oanda podcast from the team behind Jazz FM's Business Breakfast, a daily early morning 30-minute briefing for the day ahead. On air from 6am. Listen to Jazz FM on DAB, online or just ask Alexa.